I'm Brad Baluchian, and you're listening to GrottoPod. In today's episode, I sit down with Preeti Vangani to discuss her recent essay, A Meditation on Bitterness, and her path as a writer. Preeti is a brand manager turned poet and personal essayist. She is the author of Mother Tongue Apologize, the winner of the RL India Poetry Prize. Her work has appeared in BOAAT, Juked, Gulf Coast, Three Penny Review, among other journals. She is the poetry editor for Glass Journal and holds an MFA in writing from the University of San Francisco. Thanks for joining the Grotto Pod, Preeti. Um, it's nice to, you know, it's just nice to talk to other writers at the Grotto. Um, one of the things that I hope we can do more of with the podcast is just just have conversations with other writers. I know for me, I'm primarily, uh, I write narrative nonfiction and then science journalism. So your strengths are definitely not mine, uh, where, you know, but it's, I always love to hear about other people that write in other genres and their process and everything. So it's just nice to, to carve out some time and get to know you a little bit. So thanks for being on. No, thank you for having me. And I'm so excited to chat with you um, because um, I, I'm just about beginning uh, to think about nonfiction. I used to write essays, but then I, I think I gave my literary mind a complete um, sort of like a big splash of poetry. And that's what I've been working with for the last four years, but I'm slowly making my way back to nonfiction. And so I'm excited to chat about it. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about your your essay in bending genres, but I wanted to first just talk a little bit about you as a as a writer and your career. Um, I was able to to do some reading on on looking at your website and your background, and maybe just tell us a little bit about uh, just kind of the, the the nuts and bolts part of your bio of you know I know you grew up in India, but when you came to the states, and then kind of what you've been doing for the last several years. Yeah, for sure. Um, and thank you for taking time to um, go through all of that. Um, I think I knew I was a writer when I was in primary school um, and my parents took me to see a film that just stuck with me. It was a savvy ass um, romantic movie, but it had Shah Rukh Khan in it. And, you know, like every Bollywood movie, it had seven songs in it. Um, and my uh, parents are... I, I think memorizing song lyrics comes very naturally to them and also to me. Um, and my father, I think, just wanted to, you know, spend the afternoon doing something interesting. And he started writing uh, words of his own um, uh, after after like a stanza from, from the film. And he was also in the habit of penning down lyrics. And then he showed it to me and then he was like, you can go from here. And then you write down four lines and I write down four lines. But this is just one of those stray incidents because you know the meter was fixed and we we're like okay we're just you know building building you know like lego blocks but with words into music wow. um, and like uh, after that nothing really happened and i think well throughout school and college i was very interested in debating and acting and i did that a whole lot but um, you know I, I grew up middle class and then I chose to pursue commerce economics and then I went to business school. So all of, I think- so my, to, Was college in the US and, and business school? No, it was all in India actually. Um, I, I, went, I went to study in the same city I grew up in, in Mumbai. And then I went to Ahmedabad for, uh, 
for pursuing a master's in marketing. And then once I graduated from business school, I started working again in India for eight straight years. I worked in marketing uh, from one company to the other. So I was on this very typical sort of growth trajectory or what they call it in the machinery. Um, but what happened through like over the time over my second job is that um, the subculture of open mics started opening up in Bombay. It was a fairly underground-ish scene. Um, and it was just a lot of boys doing stand-up comedy and maybe like, you know, one woman in a lineup of eight. Um, and I got introduced to that subculture and I started doing stand-up comedy. Um, and I, I, I still didn't understand the craft of it. Um, I would understand it much later when I moved to San Francisco, but uh, one thing led to another and these venues started opening themselves up to like mixed art nights and poetry was one of, uh, one of the things that started taking shape. So I started writing in Hindi. Um, I, while working full time as a marketing professional and it was just, you know, this hobby that I was trying to fuel on the side. Um, and I wrote in Hindi for like three straight, straight years, went to open mics and then spoken word uh, suddenly showed showed its face you know a lot of um, Indian artists who had traveled abroad came back and started hosting open mics and then I was like wow this spoken word stuff is fantastic you don't even get heckled at like you do in comedy um, and, and I think I, I sort of made the shift from writing in Hindi to writing in English because um, whether I like it or not I think we I think in two or three languages but because uh, I studied in English, I think it, it became the dominant uh, writing tongue for me. Um, and um, I, I just I, I just wrote and wrote and wrote, but I was writing more out of impulse. Um, I didn't even know the word craft, let alone the understanding of it, until one of my friends nudged me into investigating MFA programs in this part of the world. Um, so I think four years into um, doing the circuit, uh, of the Bombay Spoken Word Circle, uh, I applied to programs in the US and uh, made it to the University of San Francisco where I majored in poetry and um, wrote my first collection, which uh, yeah, congratulations. became the first book. Yeah, and what's the name of the book? So the book is called Mother Tongue Apologize. Um, it's from RLFPA Editions, Redleaf. Um, and uh, it's been out since February, 2019. Great. Now you earned a master's of fine arts from University of San Francisco, right? That's right. Yeah. Now, are you in a, I always am curious about, uh, we're all writers at the Grotto, but we all do many different things. Um, are you doing writing full-time now? Is this your full career? I really wish it was, but I think I'm getting close to creating an environment for it in that I actually work full-time for Youth Speaks, uh, which is a nonprofit organization that works with youth. Um, and we basically try and find the intersection between spoken word poetry and civic engagement. Um, so lately, you know, like a lot of organizations, we've moved all of our instruction and events online, uh, but it's very deeply focused um, on the structural inequalities that youth have to face, our communities have to face, and all of the writing therefore comes from life experiences. Um, and I work as a poet mentor with them. Um, so I work with high schoolers, um, and I also oversee the program in terms of the needs between marketing and programming. So I'm borrowing a little bit from my old marketing experience, but um, a chunk of my work is still um, teaching spoken word poetry. Yeah. 
One of the things that just from looking at your different works um, that stood out to me is what a what a sharp and uh, fun sense of humor you have. Um, you've got a lot of humor in your in your work, and but also a lot of sadness. And I wondered wondered if you could talk a little bit about the duality of that in your writing. Yeah. Um... I think comedy is very close to my heart, not because I admire, uh, you know, the the practice of stand-up comedy, but um, I really also admire spontaneity. Um, and for me, I think, uh, you know, at a slightly philosophical level, comedy and tragedy sit next to each other. They are basically just neighbors, you know. Every time I think about comedy and tragedy, for some reason, I the image that always comes into my head is Kramer, you know, popping up unannounced into Seinfeld's house. Um, and that's, I think, my personal relationship also with grief. Um, and I think most of my writing is anchored in the loss uh, of my mom. And, you know, she was so young when she passed away. And it was this very um, sudden, massive um, event that my whole family was hit with. Um, How and old were you when she passed? Uh, my mother was 44. How old, and uh, how old were you? I was 22. Wow, yeah. Uh, and it, it was, it happened in such a way that I was away uh, at business school for two years. I saw her sparingly for a week um, during summer internship. And then the night I graduated, my mother passed away. Um, and it was just such a mixed moment, right? Because um, there was like, um, a lot of triumph and pride um, uh, coming from my family, but also just such such a grave um, loss that we were we were in the throes of. Um, and also, I think um, both my parents, you know, of course, non-confrontational as far as dealing with grief uh, is concerned. Uh, but more than that, I think they have inherently a lot of humor inside of them. Um, like, like most families, you know, my family also fights a lot and has its own demons, but, um, I, I think the, the line of positivity that I've seen between my mother and father is rooted in humor. Um, you know, letting go always comes with a joke. Um, and I think what, do think, it, what do you think your mom would, would think of your, of your, the comedy in your writing now, if she was around to see it? She would appreciate it a lot, but I think she would also think that I can make a better joke than that. <laughs> um, she would she would be just so full of pride is what is what I think. I, because I think when I was in school, I was such a, a fiend as far as participating in extracurricular activities go because I've been very, very drawn to the stage since I was, I think my earliest memories of being three and a half, four years old. Um, I just remember like the the shine and beauty of being on stage and being very attracted to it. So um, I always wanted to be part of um, the singing group, though I have a non-singing voice, just terrible sense of music. And I always wanted to be in fancy dress and up there. And my mom used to like sort of, you know, work extra hard behind the scenes, making my costumes and such. Um, and she used to encourage me a lot, whereas, you know, uh, other members of my family were like, she just needs to study and get by. Uh, so I, I think she would she would be thrilled that I'm still making things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I want to go to your recent essay um, called A Meditation on Bitterness, which was published in Bending Genres in August. 
And you, in, in setting up this interview, you mentioned to me that you had kind of done more poetry and then shifted into more of the personal essays lately. Is that, is that or what, why did you start, what, what motivated you to do this essay when you did? Yeah, I think I'm going to quote one of my favorite poets, uh, Amy Nesukumatathil, and uh, I um, was lucky enough to, you know, study with her for a very brief moment this year, but um, she's also a poet and she also, um, you know, writes essays and just beautiful nature essays. And I think I love poetry in its uh, compression and, you know, how it can transform you into one another emotion in just the breath of an image. But what I love about prose um, is that it allows your lungs to take a larger, deeper breath. Um, and I think some stories require that. Um, uh, like, I, I think their, their narration would suffer if they didn't have that bigness or largeness or, you know, the braiding, which I'm such a fan of. And I think the braiding instinct uh, was, was like developing inside of me, even when I was writing poetry, you know, one of, one of the things um, my teacher Bruce Snyder told me is that how many rooms can one poem go to? Um, you know, within the body of one poem, as in how many new spaces can you evoke? And I, I, I think from that, I learned how to grade. And I was just taking that instinct and seeing what I can do um, in an essay form with that. Uh, so, and, and I think it was a great break from writing poems too. Um, often I feel like I'm at the very dry end um, of writing poems and to change up um, the gears a little bit. I like writing in different genres. But uh, this is not new to me. I think pre-MFA, I used to write a lot of personal essays. And I, I was one of those people who, for whom essays became accessible with the BuzzFeed outburst. So when outfits like BuzzFeed became popular, it was suddenly like, so you have a story and you want to write it, here's, here's a way to publish it. And uh, one of my, yeah, I think my first essay was actually published, personal essay was published in BuzzFeed. Uh, and from there on, I did about seven or eight. And again, you know, like my poems, they were more instinct driven than craft driven. Um, and I think now, I hope at least the balance has changed a little bit. Um, but I, I was coming off of this big, you know, book and talking about the book for a year. And I was like, um, I need to change uh, the frame of reference, though I'm still talking about loss, uh, what other things or spaces in the house is loss anchored in. I was thinking about that and then I, I got to the kitchen and um, therefore I started thinking about uh, my relationship to my mother in terms of cooking and domesticity versus working. Yeah, and um, I, you know, I really, there's a lot that I really loved about this. Um, I mean, you've got a very, um, distinct voice and, and, and a very lyrical quality to the writing. Um, the, the things that stood out to me, so you, you, you span an incredible amount of time in a very short amount of space, which is impressive. You know, you go from this opening scene of trying to get into a particular kind of school in India to being in the kitchen after your mom's passed away. And um, I think it's impressive to me when, when a writer can cover time and distance in such a economical way. Um, you also, a, a key, I love this technique in writing where you really focus, I'm gonna maybe mispronounce this, but Karela, K-A-R-E-L-A, -K -E the, 
this vegetable that you kind of use as one of the anchors in your in your in your essay. And I just love uh, you know you do you do a great job of sort of using that that vegetable as a as a symbol, as sort of a, you know, a, a metaphor for relationships with your, with your, with your parent, with your mom specifically. Um, and I, I thought that one of the, I wanted, was wondering how, how important paradox was to you in, in this essay, because you talk a lot about the kitchen being this place uh, that's both a refuge and kind of a prison and the, the Corella as being bitter and yet you love making and eating it. So maybe if you can kind of discuss how that theme played into this essay, if it did, or maybe I'm totally off. <laughs> no, 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 you're not off at all. Um, I think before, before I try and think about the paradox, I think what I started thinking was, what if all my days were filled with karela? Because I love it so much. Every time they make it at home, I'm like, can you make extra? Can you make extra so that I have it for tomorrow and day after? And that idea um, just stayed with me, which is, you know, a lot of a good thing. Um, and, and I think for me, a lot of that good thing was my mother. But it's just that, um, you know, when I, when I look uh, at my memories with my mother in hindsight, um, I, you know, uh, I get that thought, which, which is always more pronounced uh, when you lose someone is that um, I took that for granted. Um, but like tied to that or mirroring that idea was, was the actual taste of the Karela, which is, which is bitterness, which automatically lent itself to regret and grief, um, grief and therefore regret. Um, so, so I wanted to go off of that, but I think what the heart of what really, you know, like what tugged at my heart to really write this was one of the last things my mother said before she, she was consciously aware that she's holding, holding on. Uh, and, you know, she was, she wasn't closing her eyes because she knew something was happening. She'd lost most of her uh, memory and coherence. Um, the last in her, in her last month while she was still in the hospital. Uh, but she remembered the date that I was going to graduate and she kept repeating the date to my dad. And uh, she kept asking him that morning if my program was done, if my program was done, that is if the graduation ceremony must have been over, would she have gotten her certificate? Um, and this is, this is the last um, thing that my father ever told me um, about her. Uh, but when, when I went to see her in the hospital um, that night, she had already passed. Um, but I think till the very end, the question on her mind was, has she gotten the certificate, which was a symbol of independence for her? Um, because my whole life, even though she was in the kitchen and she was doing her work and I had such a big mental block against the word housewife, which I threw in her face more than once. Um, the only advice she gave to me was learn to be independent. So I think in my mother's mind, uh, the image of independence was me finishing uh, business school. Um, and also my family was very opposed to the idea of me leaving home and studying elsewhere. And, but it was just my mother playing the extra good cop and pushed me to go. Um, so I think the, the idea of a woman never having uh, the chance to have finished her education versus literally waiting on her last breath for me to finish mine 
um, is, is I think one of my life's greatest um, paradoxes, but also um, like, I, I feel like a little bit of my personal failure in that, you know, my mother, which is beyond my control, but my mother was not around to see the fruits of it. Um, and, and which is why I think Karela felt like the right, the right image or the right silver thread to weave the whole essay with, because it's so incredibly bitter. Um, and yet, if you have um, a tongue for something of that taste palette, you just want more and more of it. Um, and it, it also felt like the right way to think about grief, because I feel like grief is, is, um, is, a, is a wonderful or strange kind of parasite and that it grows on itself. Um, and I, <laughs> I like when people say wallowing in sadness because that sound just sounds so right. Um, and grief is, is like just such a hole um, that you're, you're trying to get out of, but it deepens as you do. Uh, yeah, what, what, but, what, role, what role, if any, does, does anger play in this essay? A lot, I think, because um, I think very, very linked very closely to anger is uh, suppression, uh, right? Because I, I think my mother was um, stuck in, in a kind of reality um, that was presented to her. That, um, and I am stuck in a reality that's presented to me in that um, I don't have closure uh, or, you know, what we call conventionally closure. So there is, there is a lot of anger, which, which uh, also dissolves into regret a whole lot. Um, so um, sometimes, sometimes I think, uh, I think, am I projecting my anger onto my mother's uh, past? And I think one of my uh, curiosities or artistic objectives is, is to try and um, try and write the truth uh, without muddling uh, too much into uh, the could have beens, um, and in like trying to separate those memories, I'm trying to find out or crystallize my relationship to grief and to my mother. Right, right. Well, it's it's very well done. I think you know now that we discussed it, uh, I hope people will have a chance to to read it. Uh, well, I'm sure we'll put the link in uh in the notes with the with the episode but i wanted you to have a chance to actually do a, a reading from the essay and then i think also uh, some of your poetry so i'll give you the floor to take it away oh thank you so much okay so i'll read um a little bit from the essay two stanzas up top and then um two from a little later uh in a way that it still makes sense um and then we can go into a poem okay all right. Karela, rough skinned and hard textured, my mother told me was one of the first vegetables I'd started eating without a fuss when she started me up on solids. And to date, I love this bitter as grief vegetable with all my heart and taste buds. Many people cringe their noses and pretend to barf at the mere mention of Karela, but to me, it is the stuff of magical meals. I love eating it chopped up and cooked in an onion tomato base or shallow fried with besan or in stews. My favorite way to devour this bitter beast is to eat it whole and stuffed and spiced. Off the cuff, I couldn't walk you through the exact recipe for stuffed karela. The thing is, I've always loved eating but hated cooking. 
as I went through the motions of my convent-educated, business school-bound, corporate aspiration-filled life, I relegated the kitchen to be a space for those who were forced to be there. It seemed like a punishment corner, some kind of room where unrealized dreams blew off with pressure cooker steam. My mother, for instance, who studied home science in college, was set up in an arranged marriage and wedded away a semester before she could graduate, off with four bags to another house to become a housewife. How I cringed at that word, housewife, for the longest time. To me, it sounded like a woman breathing stale, confined air. We will allow you to study and work until you are 25, max 26. That's more freedom than I ever got. But after that, my mother used to warn me such. And after that, what, IDL? Is this why I study so hard to rot my life like you in the kitchen? My mother was the patron saint of reuse and repurpose, an expert at using produce for everything it had to offer. Juiced fruit pulp went into cakes, banana skins became face exfoliators. She'd learned how to peel away the green outer scales of karelas from my dad's mother, dry them in the sun, store them in a jar, and fry them up with spices to make a crunchy side dish, which made so many boring dinners pop. The night I graduated from business school, my mother breathed her last. An hour after the ceremonious scroll must have been handed over to me, my father says my mother asked if her program, meaning my graduation walk, must be over by now. It was as if she was waiting for you to finish, my father says. She must have regained a flow of coherence in that minute, he supposes, because she'd lost most of her cognition to the wrath of chemotherapy long before. The last time I saw her alive was in the middle of my last business school semester. She fleetingly looked at me as if she was meeting me for the very first time. Her eyes, blank and unfocused, flitted around the small shared room of the tiny health clinic. She wouldn't maintain steady eye contact no matter how many times I snapped or clapped to draw her attention to me. It's me, I whispered, it's me. I raised my voice. I felt betrayed that I was invisible to her, although she was the one disappearing. I tried forcing my hand into hers, but she nudged it away like a baby. She called me by her sister's name, then my father's name, then no name. Her lips dry and colorless, I half-heartedly offered to come back home before graduation, visualizing all the fun and parties I'd miss out on. But my father insisted that was not what mom would have wanted. She'd want you to finish. And I felt oddly relieved. The ordeal of seeing my mother day after day, not as my mother, but a shrunken and memoryless version of the woman who put me to bed seemed in my 21 year old head, bigger and harder to me than my mother's own suffering. Today in my motherless world, especially when sleep eludes me, I take myself to the kitchen and silently wait in the company of pots and pans and observe the workings of heat and time as I cook. How simply they seem to transform the nature of everything that was once living, once off this earth. If you weren't a housewife, what would you have wanted to be? Had they let you finish college? Is a question I never gathered the sense or the courage to ever ask my mother. And that's our show for today. Grotto Pod is produced by Brad Baluchian, Rita Chang Epig, George Higgins, 
Daniel Pierce, and Beth Weingarner. The music is by Sugartown. Grotto Pod is concocted in-house at the Writer's Grotto in San Francisco. Please review and subscribe to Grotto Pod in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Brad Baluchian, and thanks for listening.